0: So think for a moment, what things are you most proud of? Or what do you brag about? Or if you were a bragging person or could brag and feel okay about that, what what would you brag about in your life? Or what would you like to be able to brag about if you were able to do something? It's like something you've done, accomplished, hope to accomplish. What would you be proud of? Just don't... Answer out loud, but just consider that for a second. <clears throat> and another question to ask, uh, maybe along the same lines, is what's most valuable to you in life? What are you striving for in life? Like, if you could just get this, if you could just achieve this, if you could get better at this, that would be you. That would be valuable to you even maybe above other things, like what are, you, what are you really going for? Hopefully some of your answers to that are uh, spiritual in nature or, or, or lasting in, in nature. Um, if not, it's fine. I think the passage is still gonna be relevant tonight um, but I'll ask another question, maybe even specifically more to what Paul is getting at, what he's talking about here. Um, what makes you feel good about your relationship with God? Or where do you want to get to in your relationship with God? Like, what are your goals with him? Man, if I could if I could do this, I would be feeling good about my relationship with Christ. Like, the common question that we ask in that is, like, I hear this often. Hey, how's your relationship with God? The lord right that's like a accountability question or if i'm going to have some meaningful conversation with somebody we ask each other that which is a fine question and i wonder like what's usually the answer how do we usually gauge that how's your relationship with the lord well i've not been in the word like i want to be and my prayer life is actually pretty good i've been praying more it's usually those types of things i've i've been at for some it's I'm like attending church or I'm sharing my faith more or there's, there's kind of gauges that we use and I wonder like, does, does that stuff does accomplishing those things if you could accomplish those things does that make you feel like oh I've reached what I want to reach that is valuable to me or that stuff that's the stuff that I feel like makes God proud of me And tonight, you're going to hear Paul call all of these things trash or rubbish, as we'll read in the ESV. Um, seven years ago, I was, I was proud of my life. I, um, some of y'all know this, but um, I was at a church, had a great office next to the senior pastor as a worship pastor, great I had a TV with 120 channels in my office like why do you need that it's expensive instruments around me I was making good money um, we had a house that we built how we wanted to from scratch it wasn't like custom but it was like we got to pick the paint color and all the stuff is built brand new big yard big front yard even if <laughs> you know what that is um, but I uh, so and we were making money. We were wise with our money. We were putting a big chunk back. All of these things, and I worked hard to get there, and it was good. And also, if you had asked me, well, "How's your relationship with God?" and um, and I responded to that, it would be, "Hey, I, for the most part, I'm pretty consistent in my time in the Word, and I have a decent prayer life, and." I worked my way up in the church, so to speak, not in a negative way, but like I went from I was an assistant director of worship and young adults to then I was a director and a a pastor of young adults. And then I was pastor of worship for the whole church. And it was a big church. And like, if I had done a lot of things right, and I feel like I was, I had reason to be proud of my achievements, even like, even though they were like within the Christian world, they were... I think fine things and it kind of fits the mold of what people might expect to see in sanctification. Like I'm on, I'm, I'm growing in a lot of areas and maybe I was on track to where eventually I could be an elder at a church, like the the top level of, of leadership. Um, but if I'm perfectly honest as my outward signs of sanctification used with quotes or maturing, were increasing, my joy was not, and honestly, at times I was miserable and Mary Beth, no, I mean, we both shared some of that, it wasn't all miserable, but I felt a lot of discontentedness, a lot of just angst and criticalness and unsettledness, and somehow I wasn't getting what I wanted, even though I was achieving a lot of things. And I've, it was confusing because it was like I'm doing things that God wants me to do and getting better at it. But the reality was I was missing, I was missing out on something that is more valuable, infinitely more valuable. And I want to share tonight what Paul sees as supremely valuable. So um, before we get to Philippians 3, just real quick, I, I mentioned this last week, but back in chapter 1 of Philippians... Um, Paul prays for the Philippians that their love would abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment. And he says, so that you Philippians may approve what is excellent. He says, and to approve isn't just like, yep, God, you're right. It's it's like God needs our acceptance or approval of something, but to approve what is excellent means to um, to to find out and and agree with and have it sit with you what is excellent and. I explained briefly last week what is excellent is not just what's really good, like Philippians. I want you to know what's really good, but it's um, what is most good or most excellent or most important. Um, and I used back when we are when I was teaching that months ago. I was using the word important a lot, like Paul wants the Philippians to know what's important. Um, but after like studying more and more, and now that we're kind of further along in the book, and I put even more. Um, I just looked at it a lot more. I think that it's not just that the that Paul wants the Philippians to be able to make a good judgment call on what's important. Um, because he keeps on saying, rejoice. Like we see that four or five times in the book, rejoice. And I feel like that seems a little emotionally strong for, oh, you know what's important, so now rejoice because of that. It's a little like... You have the information that you'd need, now rejoice in that. But I would say we rejoice when we have something valuable. And I think that might be a better interpretation of excellent. Like Paul wants them to know and approve and, and, and agree with what's most valuable. That, that's kind of, I think, the sense of excellent. It's because if I see something just as important then I'll, I might wanna find out more information about it. But if I see it as valuable, then I desire it, and I actually like, want it because it's valuable. And the more valuable it is, the more reason I have to rejoice. Um, so it's not just, I don't think that Paul wants the Philippians just to know what's important, but what's most valuable. And as they find it, it makes sense for him to say rejoice because they've found something that is a treasure. And so, um, so Paul starts Philippians 3 1, where we're at tonight, by saying this Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And rejoice in this case, from the way that I understand it, isn't just like a, a decently strong feeling, but it, it, mean, it carries with it this idea of verbalize and verbalizing with with praise and singing like rejoice it's a big rejoice it's emotion-packed so he says finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord now I think that's the kind of overall heading for the next uh, couple of weeks that we're going to go through rejoice in the Lord and I think as I look at it it and and there's some commentators I think they would agree with this the, the paragraph break you might have a paragraph break at the end of verse one it might be better to come after rejoice in the Lord and then a new paragraph. Because then he goes on to say, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And then what he's about to say is these are the things that he's going to write them again about. Not necessarily he's writing them again about rejoice. It doesn't, maybe it doesn't make a huge difference. But he, he is writing a lot about the topic that we're about to talk about. So rejoice is the overall heading. And then he says, I'm going to write something to you. And it's for your safety. And it's no problem for me. And here's what it is. In verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So let me just ask you all, do you know, like, what do you think he's talking about here specifically in verse 2? Who are these dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh? What might that be about? Because he doesn't explain it a whole lot.
1: Are they the Judaizers? Like,
0: because... The rest of, I mean, the case that Paul builds in sort of the rest of this chapter is that he was like the top of the top
2: in the Jewish hierarchy. Yeah. So when I see mutilate the flesh, I'm kind of like
0: like those who are overly obsessed with circumcision. Yeah. <laughs> so like maybe the religious order of the Jews. Yeah, definitely. Um, almost certainly he's referring to what Eric said, the Judaizers, um, which, which I've talked about a, a couple times recently, um, but the Judaizers are, are Jews who would tell Gentile, non-Jew, Christians that they needed to adhere to the Torah or the, the Old Testament law, the first five books of the Old Testament, and almost basically become a Jew in order to fully be a child of God or a, a son of Abraham. Like, you have to do what God tells the Jews to do if you want to be in relationship with God, even if you you want to be saved. And specifically, the most obvious way to do that is for males to be circumcised, um, as that was part of, like, we can read about it in Genesis 17, um, where God establishes a covenant with the people of Israel, and he promises them the land of Canaan, right, for an everlasting possession, and he promises... Uh, that they'd be a, a, a great nation and a multitude of offspring and these things, and the sign of the covenant between God and Israel where that males were to be circumcised on the eighth day of life. Well, now, uh, Paul's writing after Christ, right? 20 years, maybe 30 years after Christ. Um, and since the death of Christ, y'all know this, but just to um, kind of brush up, we live under a new covenant. It's a covenant that... Um, Gentiles are grafted into God's family by grace through faith and we are given a spirit, the Holy Spirit and we receive, I say we I'm assuming that you're not Jews here maybe some of y'all have some Jewish and blood um, but we are. we receive the righteousness of Christ through faith whether Jew or Gentile Um, In Acts 15, if you want, you can read about the Jerusalem council who decide it's not necessary for Gentiles to be circumcised to be saved. Seems goofy maybe to us, like obviously, but give them credit in time. Like they're just going from one form of of, of a covenant into a new covenant. And I think it's reasonable that they're trying to figure some of these things out. I don't know. Um, But... Paul goes on to say in Philippians 3.3 3, here where we're at, he says, we, like himself and the Philippians, Gentiles, Jews, whoever, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. So the Spirit is given to all who believe, Jew or Gentile, male, female, male, uh, slave or free. And the children of God are those who believe, who have the Spirit. And they receive the righteousness of Christ. And, um, Paul even talks elsewhere in Romans about circumcision of the heart and uh, and this idea that, that the circumcision of of the flesh is, is just not something that's a part of the new covenant. But the Judaizers were telling people: you want to be in a relationship with God, then snip snip, right? Like that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna get you there. And that's a, obviously a huge commitment. <laughs> So listen, to what Paul says against those Judaizers, he calls them dogs. Uh, dogs in the day were not like dogs in our day, right? People are grossed out by them. They're like uh, they're like rodents or just scavengers, and you want them to get away from you. To a, a Jew, they're considered unclean. You don't want to touch them. You, you don't want to be around them. And did some Jews would sometimes refer to Gentiles as dogs. So Paul here is kind of turning the tables, and while the Judaizers maybe are telling Gentiles, hey, you need to be clean through circumcision, Paul is calling the Judaizers unclean dogs. So it's kind of flipping it on them. And the same thing with evildoers. Um, The Jew would think by circumcision, that was about a righteousness before God, the reason that they were doing that. And Paul's saying, no, they're evildoers. Mutilators of the flesh, like Eric said, maybe he's saying they're over- concerned or, or, or overexcited about this idea of circumcision or mutilators of the flesh, like pagan religions, the priests would, would mutilate their flesh in different ways. And so Paul is, is kind of flipping that around on them. And like it, it comes across harshly in our language, in our English translation, but I think it would certainly come across as, as a bit shocking to those who are reading this, that Paul would refer to these Judaizers as dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. And I wonder, maybe you guys can feedback on this. Like, why do you think Paul is so harsh in this? I mean, they're just telling people to get circumcised. Um, so it hurts a lot, but what's the harm in that? Like, why is he so bothered that he would call these guys some names?
1: i say, like, anytime people are saying Jesus plus something else, they're saying Jesus plus circumcision, mm-hmm. then that's when you have to say, no, it's, it's, it's only Christ.
0: Good. Yeah, and that... Pisses Paul right off when you start adding things into the gospel. Um, I haven't pointed it out, but throughout the book, several times, Paul talks to the Philippians about the glory of God, or the, or the glory of Christ. In Philippians 1.11, he prays that the church would be uh, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And in Philippians 1.26, Paul wants them to have ample cause. He says, to glory in Christ Jesus, And in 2.11, he looks forward to a day when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like he wants God to have glory, even ends it in 4.20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. And in the beginning, Philippians 1.6, he says, he who started this work, he's going to continue it, he's going to complete it. So who gets the glory in this? This work that God's doing, God does. He gets glory. Even a couple weeks ago, Randy was like uh, sharing how Paul's saying, hey, Philippians, you don't need me you don't need timothy it's god who works in you to will and work for his good pleasure so who gets the glory in all of this god now who has a little bit of potential for some glory in circumcision after you're healed (laughs) the one who's circumcised or the one who can point to saying this is a work that i've done this is something that i've done and if you know christ like paul knows christ Anything or anyone that gets glory instead of Christ is disgusting to him, like like a dog, an evildoer. That's why he uses this strong language. And it seems like circumcision had kind of, especially for the Judaizers, had become almost like a trophy. Like it's something to brag about. Like I'm part of the people of God. It's like wrestlers, they they have um, cauliflower ears or whatever. Like these are my trophies. See, i put in the work. I've done it. Um, and for a Jew to be circumcised, they could, they could take pride in that. Look, I've been born in, into the people of God, or for a Gentile, like, look what I've done to, to prove my love, or to, or to work my, my way to my salvation. Paul says three times in what he's recorded as writing in his, his letters, um, that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, he says. And here he says, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, he says. So the glory is going to whom it, whom it belongs instead of putting confidence in the flesh. So Paul hates anything that works against the essence of the gospel or, or takes, tries to steal a little bit of that glory uh, from Christ, from the Father. And he's probably been dealing with the Judaizers for a long time. I don't know that the Judaizers were heavily infiltrating uh, Philippi, But certainly in the surrounding areas we read about and um, eventually it's going to make its way to them Um, paul's so adamantly against polluting the gospel with works so much so that with these judaizers that have crawled under his skin he says in galatians 5 basically i wish that these people who are troubling you to be circumcised would just turn the knife on themselves and just cut it all off, he says. (laughs) Castrate themselves, that's Galatians 5.12, if you want to go look that up. Um, He doesn't look kindly on it. Culturally, for us, Torah observance doesn't usually surface, I don't think, as something that we should strive for. We don't hear people sharing the gospel hey repent and be circumcised um, or we don't hear hey you need to keep these food or ceremonial cleanliness laws or, you know that's not maybe that's a little foreign to us so i wonder like what if we could compare what we experience to something similar um what what might we hear like if you want favor with god or status with God, you should do this. Like, what do we hear that? How how that's answered? Are you, if you're a good Christian, you should do this. Maybe in the South, let's go to church on Wednesday and Sunday, and you're good. And it's Sunday <laughs> night, and if you're real good. You gotta make sure one sees your face. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but that's, that's the South.
0: Yeah, and and if you ask the person, "Hey, how's your relationship with God?" Well, um, I go to church. Uh, yeah, I've been down go to, church to church every Sunday.
2: And, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something is going vocationally into ministry or missions. That's Ooh, yeah. kind of viewed as like those are the super Christians. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. I feel like you can go one of both these ways. That I've heard my walk, but it's either. You need to like give away everything you have and sell your possessions and live meagerly if you're a really good Christian, or you need to gain a bunch of wealth and live really high on the hog because God's blessed you and your faith and it's really yours. So I feel like I've heard kind of both.
0: Yeah, and either of those things are something that we can we can strive for and think, oh, this is check check this out. I, I hear that a lot with with even just a quiet time, and we'll talk at the end about um, basically things that we don't call Torah. We I think a lot of them we call disciplines, mm-hmm. and the disciplines, reading the Bible, quiet time, prayer, fasting, whatever it is. Those are not not a bad thing, but let's get uh, get to that at the right end. Um, but we can in those things start feeling pretty good like we've achieved something if we're doing those things we set goals in those things at new year's maybe and we think well i you know i've i've reached my goal i've got what i wanted i've spent time with the lord you know five days out of the seven and i have spent um 20 minutes a day in prayer and i made it to church uh 80 of the time and um maybe at least you can feel better than the next person Or you, you at least have potential to get a little bit of glory, um, or you look up to somebody else because they've spent two hours in prayer every day. And it's like, Ooh, you know, that's, that's spectacular. So Paul in his day was the top notch cream of the crop when it comes to Jews, right? So he goes on with a little rant in verses 4 to 6 to make a point. He says, so we don't, we're not to put, into um, verse 3, we're not to put uh, um, confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews as to the law pharisee as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law blameless that's what i've achieved and if you think it's impressive to jump through some little hoops like circumcision to get to god and you want to have some trophies to hold up check out what i've done like let me tell you of the possibility of humans grabbing for a little bit of that glory for themselves i've i've got it all so he mentions all of these like status things and achievements in his life. With status, he says, I'm, I'm circumcised on the eighth day, which that's the proper way to do it. That means you've, you've been raised as a Jewish boy, and that's good on you. I'm of the people of Israel. Like, I'm a Jew by ethnicity. I'm not some convert. I'm actually a Jew. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. What does that mean? Well, the the city where God's presence dwelt in the Old Testament in the temple Jerusalem was in the land allotted to Benjamin and there's a special uh, blessing even that God gives through Moses to the tribe of Benjamin they're, they're extra special because that's where God he it's, it says in Deuteronomy that God dwells between the shoulders of Benjamin or something like that like along with Judah they're the they were the at least the most faithful of the tribes of Israel and so that's, oh, that's a, a status that I was born into. And then achievements, or he says a Hebrew of Hebrews, maybe kind of a summary like of those things. Achievements as to the law of Pharisee, um, in, in, other, in Acts 26.5, um, Paul says, Everybody knows that, basically, according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee, he says. And in galatians 1 14, he says i was advancing in judaism beyond many of my own age and among my people so extremely zealous was i for the traditions of my father as was a great pharisee and as to zeal a persecutor of the church he says i wasn't just like some mediocre pharisee but i was a pharisee who was against things that god was against or we thought god was against so the Jews uh, in Deuteronomy, it says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree or something like that. Well, Jesus is hung on a tree, so if they're cursed, it would, as a Pharisee, we, we, shouldn't, we should be against that person. And so Paul was against them, so he was doing what in his mind was right, right? By persecuting the church and people that were following that cursed man. So he's, he's the best of the best with, as far as a Pharisee goes. And he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless assume that's sabbath observances and food laws and ritual cleanliness and all of these things everything that that judaizers would want from people paul's like i have done those to the utmost you want to brag about what you've done i can brag like if you want to show the value of what you've done i've done it all if you want people to be impressed with you It's not going to be anything compared to me. Any glory that you're seeking, I've got more, Paul says. Then he comes to verse 7, a turning point. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of, or compared with, some translations say, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Stop there for a minute. So what Paul seems to be saying is, if I could put a value on those, on my own achievements and status, here's what it's worth. Foul-smelling garbage um, that that is out on the street that dogs gobble up. Um, the translation of the word that we read "rubbish" in the ESV. Um, some people think it's it's anywhere. It, it means either either trash on the street, kind of like old food that you throw out you don't want anymore and it's rotting. Um, it's between that and um, Uh, like a almost a vulgar word like shit right like it's so wherever (laughs) wherever you land in that whether it's whether it's foul-smelling street garbage or whether it's crap it's that's what he sees his attainments and status as how, and how are those valueless like that? How are those so valueless? Well, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, he says. Mm-hmm. Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Mm-hmm. I love that he says, my Lord. I, I usually had skipped over that. I memorized this, some of this passage long ago, and I didn't really think about it. But when he says, Christ Jesus, my Lord, that's not really common in Paul to, to kind of personalize things in that way. But he's saying, that, like, knowing Christ Jesus, My Lord. I love it, just the kind of intimacy of that, of knowing Christ. It's like in Galatians when Paul says, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, he says. And it's real um, personal. So here's where we talk about value, not just importance, but what is most valuable. And so Paul makes these statements these value statements. Whatever gain I had, he says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Christ is more valuable. Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing greatness or worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things I consider them rubbish. Over and over and over again, he's saying all of these things, anything, he says, I have everything as a loss. It, it, it's worthless compared with Christ. He's of supreme value. And I think that begs the question, why is Christ so valuable to Paul? Like, what's so valuable about Christ? That's easy. That's an information kind of statement to give you. Like, maybe that sounds important. But what is so great to Paul about Jesus Christ, about knowing Christ, that everything else seems like trash or crap compared to knowing Christ? Maybe y'all can take a minute just to comment on that. Like, what is so valuable about Jesus? What have you all found is so valuable about Jesus that it makes everything else, any attainments or any achievements or anything that I can do to try to look good just look like garbage? Like, what What have you found in Christ? What's the value of Jesus, of knowing Him?
3: Um, I like the perspective that it brings because we're all kind of talking about it, but, like, I'll, um, I think it's, like, a continuous thing, but having about it, but how, like, Realizing that life is going to be really, really hard, and that that's like for a purpose, but then knowing, um, like, there's just so much comfort. I guess like the comfort that I get from knowing that that I will have an eternal life, okay. um, and that these things aren't actually things to be like. Even though I can still care and suffer with them, these hard things like it can be. Therefore, they're going to, like, um, bring things that will benefit the life to come. Mm-hmm. And I think without that, like, I'd be hopeless.
0: Yeah. Good. So, I mean, in short, you have eternal life. Yeah. In Christ. And, and getting to know
3: that now
0: mm-hmm.
3: is such a blessing. Yeah. I'd be, like, kind of annoyed if I just found out at the end. Like, it'd be great, but, like, the
1: fact that that benefits yeah.
0: this entire life is really cool. Yeah, I did.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, really, I was thinking just the hope in the midst of, like, trial and the hard and the brokenness of life. Like, in Christ, I have uh, peace, like, when I feel like things are just so out of my control and um, things that are just difficult to walk through. In Christ, He gives me peace and comfort that just can't come from any other place mm-hmm. um, apart from Him. Mm-hmm. And so it helps me even just, as I think about just walking through and hearing just the hard things and that He gives me contentment and peace and comfort and joy and hope and mm-hmm. all the things like in Him that we have.
0: Yeah. I think...
2: To um, to experience the love of Christ is so um, huge, you know, because a lot of a lot of most humans, their goal in life is to find love and happiness, you know, and so that we get to experience that to the fullest, and then the love and happiness that we do have in life is just like a cherry on top. Mm-hmm. It's not what fulfills us or satisfies us because we know we know the love of Jesus and being his child and what that means and the authority that we have in that and that we're able to walk through life with him like that he's in a relationship with us he doesn't only love us but he's in relationship with us like I don't know, I literally don't know how people get through life without Jesus from small things like a breakup or anxiety to big things like death then yeah like huge persecutions and all the awful things that go on in the mm-hmm. world um I don't know how people do it without the love of Christ.
0: Yeah. I yeah. Yeah. And I uh, on top of that it's it's love and and relationship that's undeserved, that I didn't, Mm -hmm. that I didn't get, that I didn't attain myself. Yeah. Um, Well, Paul kind of goes on, I think, next to describe what Christ means to him. So he says in Philippians 3, 8, which I love hearing that from you guys, by the way, that's, yeah, he's, he's valuable. And when I hear what you guys say, it's like, yeah, nothing else really compares to what we have in Christ so Paul says in verse 8 for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may and I think he goes on to give some kind of about or value of of Christ what's the value of knowing him in order that may verse 9 gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So you know all those things that we said, we kind of feel like, oh, these are good things to do and we're supposed to do these to be a good Christian. you feel like you've achieved something for God. Like if you if you look at the course of your life, how successful have you been in those things, not to mention all the things that you haven't added into there that may God might call us from or, or call us to, and ask, like, have you been pretty consistent in that obedience in your own righteousness that, that you've achieved? Like, have you reached this point where you're just kind of rarely sinning anymore? It's, it's like, when we consider our own righteousness, it's, it's ridiculous to be really hurrah about what, what I've accomplished. Um, but being found in Christ, on the other hand, we don't have a righteousness that comes from doing all of the right things all of the right time. And fortunately, because uh, Romans 3 says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. And a few verses later, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That righteousness is not what the law is going to accomplish in us. It's a matter of either having righteousness of our own that we can accomplish by by doing things that we're supposed to do, which frankly is going to give us condemnation, or it's the righteousness of christ which justifies us unto eternal life and so this is paul saying knowing christ means justification before a holy god that my sins would be forgiven that my faith is counted to me as righteous and if we just stop there i think that sounds pretty valuable to me It doesn't take much thought to realize that Christ's righteousness before the Father is infinitely more valuable than whatever righteousness I can stir up in my life apart from him. It's the perfection of Christ versus the perfection of what we can achieve. And I get worn out trying to do those achievements, and I do, like Paul, do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do, and back and forth. But instead, in Christ, in knowing Christ, His perfect righteousness in my account—that's what I have in Christ, not my righteousness, but I have Christ's righteousness. And it's not only that we're justified by the righteousness of Christ, but something happens. So he goes on in verse ten. He says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. So if verse nine. If you look at it, if verse 9 was about kind of justification, um, we're, we're, we're seen as right before God because of the righteousness of Christ. What might you call verse 10? Knowing him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Sanctification, maybe we could say, like becoming like Christ or becoming holy. That might be a. Theological term to put on a biblical word. Um, So here's how he speaks of our life now. It's kind of to what you were saying, Joy. Now that we have we have this righteousness of Christ, he says that I may know the power of the resurrection. He says. Now Paul talks at the end of this. We'll get to in a second in verse eleven about the his. Um, actual resurrection, or the actual resurrection of believers, but this is a little something different. He's talking about the power of the resurrection that we now get to live in. So it's not like we have this, we're saved and we have this gloomy life and we just have to try to hold out until we finally are with Christ. But um, like Romans 6 says, just as Christ was raised from the dead, be- because that happened, we now walk in newness of life now. We walk in the power of the resurrection as provided for by the spirit of God. So I like to think of it. We're not anymore walking around like, like zombies with no hope and enslaved to sin. Um, But instead we have the spirit of God and we're walking now in life and we're able to overcome sin. And with the spirit of God active in us, alive in us, we don't have to sin. Now we, we, we have the ability to choose now because of God's spirit in us not to. And so So I think that power of the resurrection, it involves looking back at the resurrection of of, of Christ, this historical, supernatural reality of his resurrection, which assures us of our future reality of the resurrection and of, of our own resurrection. And because of that now, because of that perspective, we are able to live differently. We're able to live in the power of his resurrection since we have the Holy Spirit. He's regenerated our hearts. We can walk in newness of life. That's what That's another thing that we have in Christ. It says the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul's talked before here and in other books about suffering. We won't go into it, but suffering is ordinary, or it seems to be ordinary for believers, not just suffering like everybody experiences, but suffering because of the gospel. But suffering, we see in sharing in his sufferings, Suffering is what God uses to form in us the image of his son who set the example of suffering. So if you remember a few weeks ago in chapter 2, Jesus is raised up as this example, this perfect example, not just of humility, but also of suffering. And our suffering for his sake confirms that we know him that we've been united with Christ even it says becoming like him in his death or I love how the King James says being conformed to his death now from what I understand that doesn't mean that we're, it's going to be martyrdom for all of us but as as we're sanctified some of y'all know this you will be You will die every day to your former way of life. And you'll feel that. And it's as you, it's good because it's walking in the power of the resurrection. And now, oh, this is true life, but it's a type of dying and it sucks, but it's followed by life and the power of the resurrection. Each time you die, so to speak, because you're being conformed to the image of Christ. You'll, you're finding life in that. It's. I think all of those kind of three phrases—the power of the resurrection, fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death—kind of they all fit together. It's this sanctification process where we're looking more and more like Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just this temporal kind of notional thing. Because if Jesus was actually resurrected, verse eleven says that by any means possible, I may attain. The resurrection from the dead now let's talk about value here's where I think the value that Paul's talking about culminates we have his righteousness the righteousness of Christ we're united with Christ in his resurrection power we're united with him in suffering and death and so lastly we also will be made like him in our own resurrection and in our own glorification, which he's going to talk about in a a paragraph or two. So consider the value of that, being resurrected to eternal life, God's work of sanctification now complete in our lives to where we're standing next to Jesus, our righteousness, and now we're made completely blameless and pure and perfect and holy, all because of Christ. Now tell me about that, how you prayed five times this week and you, you know, went to church every Sunday. Those things seem like rubbish compared to what we have in Christ. It's, it's, that's trash, it's completely valueless compared to what we have in Christ. It's a little bit hard uh, to understand what it means by, when he says in verse 11, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It almost sounds like Paul's trying to earn something. Um, I think it could be read whatever it takes. Um, I think Paul's saying, when I consider that final prize of being with Christ, mm-hmm. It's like, I picture like a man or woman with their hands full of their achievements and their, maybe it's money or degrees or Bible certificates or successes or significant positions on a church staff like I had or um, regular quiet times, whatever all those achievements are. And that person catching a glimpse of something that is infinitely more desirable and saying and dropping everything and saying, I don't care what i have to do i don't care what i have to leave behind i don't care how stupid i have to look whatever i I don't care if i have to die i want what that is because it's more valuable to me than anything by any means possible that's what i want forget everything else it doesn't matter to me it's like the parable in matthew of the the treasure in a field right the dude's going to sell everything that he owns because he's found something that's supremely, infinitely more valuable. And so he's going to buy that field with what he can get out of the rest of his life just so he could have that one thing, that treasure. So I just want to, um, let's wrap it up and like go back to the question that I was asking at the beginning. So recall to your mind, what things are you most proud of? what do you brag about or or would you want to brag about wish you could what's the most valuable thing or things to you in life, what are you striving for in life what makes you feel good about your relationship with God that you're able to do and accomplish and compare those things to the value as, as Paul describes it and as some of you describe it of knowing Christ Jesus your Lord and maybe then we can understand better the section heading that says rejoice in the Lord right rejoice in Jesus rejoice in the one who has infinite worth and nothing else I was um, kind of thinking through this scripture. Oh, week and a half ago when we were up at the my parents house and I was thinking I want so badly for our church to get this and to continue to grow in this Um, I want us to approve what is excellent or to know what is most valuable um, which is knowing Christ and sometimes when I I see people in our church or other believers lacking joy I, I wonder if it's just because we've got the scales kind of out of balance somehow because we're thinking that these the other things are valuable mm-hmm. and we're kind of putting aside Christ and um, I just pray that when compared with knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead seems infinitely more valuable all that other stuff that we can bring to the table and that we do it's not even close to the value that we have in Jesus. And I'm super encouraged because I've seen people here in our little church who have stood for a lot of things in the past and achieved some cool things and maybe grew up a good kind of religious person, but now are realizing the significance and the value of knowing Christ and actually starting to think, you know what? I'm realizing, like maybe, maybe knowing Christ is actually as valuable as as these people are saying, or as Scripture is saying, and willing to say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna put other things on my life and hold." Like I've seen that in in some of us here. I believe that there will be people who come to know Christ as we proclaim the gospel in our community, and will will think to themselves. These things that used to be important to me, that used to define me, I will drop like garbage to know Christ and everlasting life with him. I, I hope that there will be people that choose that. So I just ask you guys, do you know, do you, do you desire to know Christ and rejoice in his righteousness and live in the power of his resurrection and be conformed to his image and suffering and death and raised to life with him and be glorified with him or do you desire something else that your life can be built upon which one of those things is truly gained to you um, my, my life seven years ago like compared to now I, I've still got a lot of great stuff it's not like I'm I'm just living in the slums now but um, and I still oftentimes put a lot more value than I ought to in things and status but less so honestly Um, and and honestly y'all I I work my our our church is not as, as glamorous as maybe a big mega church somewhere or the churches that we've been at in the past, and I work at amp rehearsal on on a couple days a week as a receptionist and manual laborist and janitor and everything else. And um, I was walking home a few nights ago. I think it was last, just a couple of Thursdays ago. I was worn out. It's kind of a hard, or it's physically strenuous, especially at 36 years old. Um, and my clothes were dirty, like you empty the trashes and people are drinking beer. There's some beer on my shoes. And I was, I was realizing as I was walking home that I, I didn't realize this at the time, but seven years ago, I would, I would have a way of looking down on people that were in the situation that I'm in as I was walking home. Like I've, I've gotten out of the need to work, uh, Twelve dollar an hour job and spill beer on my shoes. Like at, at back in the time, I think, well, I've I've attained something. Like I've I've um, I've achieved this, and um, or I would look down at a, a, a pastor of well, you're you're a worship pastor at a church of a hundred people. Oh, that's sweet. Mine has a couple thousand. You know, I've, I've worked my way up to this, and. I used to much more, I think, pride myself in what I had achieved. But frankly, I, I say that I wasn't increasing in joy. I think it's because I wasn't increasing in my knowledge of Christ, of knowing Christ. And I had these outward signs of, that looked good, of sanctification, and my disciplines and spiritual achievements, they were good, but it ended there because those were kind of the goals. Like I topped out when I, when I can do, when I can reach some of those goals. It's like, Oh, and that's all that there is. That's the height of what I can rejoice in that. I had a consistent Bible study and I was a part of these accountability groups and whatever it is. And frankly, you get tired of that, right? Cause there's always something more that you could want, but now I, I can honestly say, and it's, it's a day by day thing and it's growing, but I, I have more joy than I have ever had before. And it's not because I've stopped some of those, those all, everything that I was doing in some of those disciplines, but it's because my goal is becoming more and more Christ.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I can see, especially after studying this passage, infinitely more gain in knowing Christ than achieving some other accomplishments. So I'm telling you guys, this is what we really want. This is who we really want. This is who is really valuable and it's it's found in christ in his righteousness that's given to us for free it's in his sanctification that culminates with our resurrection from the dead and being like christ and being with christ and being uh, perfectly with him and so i would say let's drop everything else all of our other pursuits endure with with joy, suffering, and conformity to his death, and look forward to the future of being with him and being like him. And let's know Christ and rejoice in the Lord. I love how um, the song Be Thou My Vision, just the first two lines says, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. And it's a little kind of old English, so it says, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Or may nothing be everything to me, except who you are, Christ. And I hope that will be us.